Hey there, friends. Uncle Marv here. Thank you for downloading another episode of the IT Business Podcast. I just want to give a quick message and apologize for the first two minutes of this episode. There was a little glitch in the recording. Don't know what happened and couldn't really fix it. So I had to splice together some audio. So it's going to sound a little funky in the beginning, but bear with it. If you can make it to the two minute and 25 second mark, it'll be a fantastic show going forward. I didn't really say anything important in those first two minutes. So if you want to skip it, that's fine. But I just don't want you to turn it on and freak out at the audio and then turn it off and miss a great show. So I apologize. I will do better in the future to make sure it doesn't happen. Can't guarantee it, but I will try. But for now, enjoy the show. Hello, friends. Uncle Mark here with another episode of the IT Business Podcast, your podcast for IT business support if you do any type of networking for business, small business enterprise, if you are a solo tech, managed service provider, anything that has to do with that, this is the show for you. If you are watching, this is the weekly live show. We broadcast every Wednesday night at 8 p.m., on YouTube and the Facebook, sometimes even to the LinkedIn. But if you're watching live, you can see to my right or stage left, Brian Barnhart is with me in studio, our second ever in-studio guest. Brian, how does that feel? Very, it's very cool. Very, I didn't realize that. Yes. I'm so honored. Very Keep honored. that a secret so that uh, okay. people don't okay. bum rush the studio. So Brian is with us from InfoSec Cyber. And is a fellow Florida man. Yes, I am. You're a real Florida man. I'm a real Florida, born and raised. Born, born and, and raised. raised. And actually, if I remember correctly, born in Fort Lauderdale, right? In Fort Lauderdale. That is correct. Oh, that is yes. correct. So Brian and I hung out a couple of weeks ago when Stan the Man was down here. And we talked about some of those days. You remember the real spring break days. Yes. Right, back in the days of summers and uh, the candy store and candy stores, absolutely the, the button, way back. the button, right, right, <laughs> uh, for sure. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later, uh, folks. Tonight we are going to be talking about cybersecurity from a much different perspective. Most of us try to do what we can in educating our customers and you know doing all the phishing tests and two FA and stuff like that. But Brian's going to help us understand what we really should be talking to our customers about. So, Brian, look forward to that. No, I'm excited. Thanks all right. Well, first thing I want to do, as my notes are all messed up, is I want to get into a little bit of news because one of the announcements that I want to make is that next week, the show will not be on at its regular time. Normally, like I said, Wednesdays, 8 p.m. Eastern. However, next week, because it is the week before Thanksgiving and the week before Black Friday, we are doing a Black Friday preview. And that will start at 10 a.m. And it will go for maybe two hours. And I will have two great people with me to go over a lot of gifts and tech things that you can buy. And Emily Lawrence of Tech Gadget Canada is going to join us along with Eric Pinto from Sock Solder. Eric joined me last year when we did 
Two Black Men, One Black Friday. <laughs> What's the title of the show? Wow. <laughs> um, and that is going to be probably the only time ever uh, that we will actually dedicate the entire show to having you as the listener support the show. It's it's basically my webathon where I say, hey, please go buy this item from Amazon. Because if you do, we get a little commission, and that comes back and helps support the show. I know you're going to shop on Amazon anyway, so why not use the links that we provide and do that? There's no additional cost to you, so it's not like you're you know, spending more to help the show. It's the same cost. Amazon just gives us a little bit of affiliate commission back to us. But the reason I mentioned that as part of the news segment is that Amazon has been in the news. I don't know if you know this, Brian, but, you know, Jeff Bezos, who used to be, you know, or was the founder of Amazon, but but kind of stepped down last year, but he's still on one of the committees and he is telling everybody to batten down the hatches and be prepared for a recession and don't spend so much money from a guy who wants us to spend money. Right, that owns (laughs) a, a... Shopping medium. Yep. And uh, so Amazon stock was down something like 42% last Friday. Now, I don't play the stock market, but I do know that there were some numbers that came out, the official numbers. So Amazon made $127 billion this year. Now, that was up 15%. Okay. But their net profits are down, down $2.9 billion. Or $0.28 cents a share. So kind of interesting. However, their AWS service, which most of us utilize mm-hmm. in some form or fashion, $20.5 billion, And that was up 27%. So that is still their most profitable uh, cost center or whatever they call their division there. Makes sense. But here's what Amazon is really hinting at. They are forecasting their fourth quarter profits to be zero. Exactly zero. That's what they said, zero. So I don't know if that's true, but I am going to say still, as you're listening to the show next week, 10 a.m. Eastern to 12 noon, follow our links, go to Amazon and purchase and see if, see if we can make them a hundred bucks next week. <laughs> uh, so we're going to get into the Florida man news a little bit later in the show, Brian. I'm going to ask you some questions okay. about that, okay. but why don't we get to what I think the listeners really want to hear about? And the fact is you do cybersecurity, but in a much different way than most of us are used to. Correct. So first of all, I need to let people know. So InfoSec Cyber, people that knew you two, three, four years ago, it's not the same name. No, no. It was <laughs> Infiltration Labs. Yep. Infiltration Labs. So I, if you want a little background. I probably shouldn't be sharing this on the air, but really the name change spawned from nobody knew what infiltration labs meant. It had no, no direct really? connection to cyber, uh, to the, to the point of, I had a small business accountant some years back, um, who invited me to a networking event. And when I showed up, everybody started asking me, are you the water filtration guy? Yeah. Like water. Fil- yeah. No. No, I don't do water filtration. So that kind of spawned the uh, the name change. So InfoSec, people probably still don't know what that no, means, they but, still don't. but you threw in the cyber. I did. So that kind of like, oh. I had to have a buzzword. Yeah. All right. So 
a complete rebranding. And now let me see if I get this right, because a lot of us in the industry mistake what you do in, in saying that you're, you know, all about, you know, cyber protection, but that's not true. There's two parts to your business as I understand it. One is the education side, which we all would love to do. But then there's the good, the dirty side, I should say. I don't know why I was going to say good. (laughs) Good in terms of money, but (laughs) the dirty side where a lot of people come to you after the hack. Correct. So you figure there's, I really, whereas a lot of cybersecurity, they focus on the protection, right? We're going to put stuff in place to help prevent and protect you against. And I guess for all intents and purposes, I really, I'm not protecting initially right. against anything. Um, the two sides of the coin that I am is after an attack, right? Or after an incident, I'm the guy that comes in and I'm going to do the the analysis and help you identify what happened, how it happened, what the full scope is. Um, why is that important? Is that's how you minimize the impact. You minimize the cost and the downtime by identifying the sexy side of what I do is the penetration testing. Okay. And that's the you know, coming in as the hacker, if you will, to expose and identify where you're, you're vulnerable. Now, obviously that's the ethical hacking, right? It is. Yes. Yes. Ethical hacking. And is it full penetration testing? Because the reason I ask that is I know that a lot of us have these companies that will offer as part of our cybersecurity stack and we'll offer pen testing, but really to me, they're more like vulnerability scans where they're just scanning the IP and that's it. They're not truly penetrating. So, Correct. So the, the, the easy distinguishing factors there is if you're using an automated tool and it's just scanning, we'll say, IPs or endpoints, that's a vulnerability scan. Okay. Right? A penetration test is we will start off with doing a vulnerability scan but then once we've identified where there's potential vulnerabilities, now we need to verify, right? Or, or check and make sure, was that a false positive? Is it a false negative? And if it's reporting that X is exploitable, can I actually exploit it? Can I hack into it, if you will? Okay. Now here's part two to that question, and then we'll circle back around. Most of my clients don't want to pay for a penetration test. Nobody wants to pay for it. They don't want to pay test. for a vulnerability scan. Yeah. Um and from what I understand, a true penetration test is pretty pricey. It's costly because okay. it is, it's not, and that's, I think that's where the big confusion is, is you hear a lot of people ask, hey, much is, how much does a vulnerability scan cost? You really can't just ballpark that, or you, you can ballpark a vulnerability scan because it's typically, it's an automated scan. Right. I just need to know the number of IPs, what we're expecting to see there, click go, done. Whereas with a penetration test, you really do need those human eyes to kind of peek and see like, okay, how else can I try to exploit the service or what else is there, right? It really requires that, that human interaction to poke and, and see what's, what's there. And that's, that's where the, the cost comes from. Okay. Now, I probably can't ask you to divulge too much legally. Don't want to get anybody in trouble. But I have to assume that you get into some stuff. I've, I've done some cool, but I think – are some sexy penetration tests. Uh-huh. So uh, can I, do I have time for a, a sure. quick story? Oh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah, tell us. It doesn't happen often, but every now and then we get what's called a physical penetration test, which is where they they want, or a red team test, we'll call it, 
which is where they don't just want to test the, the, the computer environment or the network environment. They also want to see what damage could be done if somebody had physical access okay. to our systems or our environment. Um, so some years back, um, we were engaged to physically break into a bank in some podunk town. Um, and that was, I'll say it was interesting. We were successful, we were successful breaking into the bank. Um, but the, the reason I say it was interesting, I, here's the funny part of the story is I was shadowing a guy. I was training with, with a guy on the, the physical pen test. And at one point we're there at three o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm like, we're, we're just, we're just going to pick the locks and go in. He's like, yeah, he's like, but don't worry about it. You've got your get out of jail free. All right. We've got an authorization form. So if the cops show up or something, I'm like, oh, okay. Well, being retired law enforcement, cops probably aren't going to come in. <laughs> They're probably going to send canine. And I don't know that canine's going to stop to read the <laughs> I can't the read. Form, right? <laughs> probably doesn't care who signed that form. Mm. Now, okay. So let me understand the physical penetration. So that to me sounds like, can you just break in and bypass alarms, key codes and stuff like that? I mean, is that really part of the cyber stuff in terms of, I mean, hmm. I yeah, yes. So yes and no. Okay. Right. So if we were just breaking in, then what that's, there's really not much value. Right. And okay. Yeah. Someone can shatter your window and break in where the value comes from is trying to identify Failures and processes. Okay. Right? So if I manipulate your, your lock on your front door before the business closes at the end of the night, is someone going to test that? Or can I come back at midnight and just walk in? Right. Once I get in, is there any sort of um, alarm systems inside that are going to alert to my presence? Um, when I get to your computer, am I going to find computers that are unlocked? So almost like in the cyber world, where it's a, that layered defense, right? Okay. We have firewalls, intrusion detection, so on and so, so forth. So that's more what I was thinking of, let's say the cleaning crew is walking through, can they just start pecking away at somebody's computer? That's kind of what I was thinking is the physical yeah, testing. Yeah, absolutely, and that's, that's part of it as well. Okay. Right, clean desk policy, right? Do we have stuff with passwords? Yeah, not my clients. Keyboards or- so I had a client today, <laughs> I'm going to rat him out. So- they, uh, let's see the first way to, to explain this. So part of them are working remote and part of them are in the office and they're actually sharing office space. Okay. So one person's physically at a desk and then an outside person is, they're not sharing the f- computer. They're sharing the desk. So there's two computers, KVM switch so that they can switch back and forth. Well, today they both showed up. And so the one person went to another computer and I got them to remote into their computer, whatever. And then they wanted to switch. I don't know why. <laughs> and so the person that came to the desk at the, the second time got locked out of her profile. And they weren't logging into the same system. So it, it's, yes, I knew I was going to have to explain it. So they call me in a panic. She's like, I can't get in. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, come to come in, she had done something wrong, and she, her password after I think five attempts is when they get locked out. Okay, I said, "Oh, you're locked out. Let me unlock you." So I said, first, did you log out of the other computer that you're on?" And she's like, "Oh no." And so I hear from across the room through the phone, "What's your password?" 
and she yells it across the room. And Appreciate I'm like, that's not legal. <laughs> you know, everybody's so concerned about like the, the zero days and the, you know, I'm using air quotes, the sophisticated hacks. And really most, most attacks are default passwords, weak passwords, some service that's open to the internet that just shouldn't be. Like naked RDP. Yeah. Yeah. We've got a uh, comment in the chat here. The cleaning crew knows the passwords. They will see them under the keyboard without dusting. Right, right. If you have issues logging in, call the cleaning crew. They probably yeah. have got you. I know what a Mr. P just keeps his passwords. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, so a second part of the physical penetration, part of me was thinking of, do you do what, what was that movie? Sneakers. With uh, Robert Redford, did you see that? I did, I did. Um, when they're penetrating into buildings and walking physically in and seeing if they could bypass stuff and seeing if people will let them into places they're not supposed to go. Do you ever do that type of thing? So I, the funny thing is it, that that's the sexy part of doing penetration testing or physical penetration tests. Um, and the reality is almost nobody ever engages for that. Oh. I think for a couple of reasons, I think there's probably some liability issues there. Okay. Um, and I kind of how you started the conversation initially, where, how does that, how does that correlate to cyber? Right. And right. I don't think, I mean, just the sad truth, we just don't get, but they watch the movies, they get past it. And then all of a sudden they're in the server room, which it always amazes me how there's never a tech in the server room in these movies. Big server rooms, right. no tech. It's empty. <laughs> so not mine. Mine are all stuck in a closet or in a bathroom. <laughs> Servers are never left alone. Oh, man. <laughs> all right. So the physical um, and then the vulnerability testing. Now, the other part of that is because your, your company is described also as digital forensics. Correct. Yep. Which to me is more of digging deep into the information to see what happened, you know, scouring logs, recovering data, that sort of stuff. Am yeah. I, am I right? Absolutely. Spot okay. on. Spot on. So we typically say DFIR or digital forensics incident response. Okay. So the incident response side is obviously there's some sort of a cyber event. We come in, it's the digital forensics that, that methodology of knowing how to collect the data, how to triage the data, how to, interpret the data. And I think I'm, I'm jumping around here, but that's probably the biggest piece of digital forensics is let's be honest, anybody with, you know, a bunch of money in their pocket and go out and buy digital forensic tools, right. Or take a couple of classes and, and oh, there's some free tool. ones. Yeah. And there's some free, right. <laughs> no. And the funny thing is some open source software I think is better yeah. than the, the commercial stuff, but um, it's knowing how to interpret that data, right. It's one thing to see that, you know, this log says X, but what, what does that actually mean, right? So you really have to correlate that and, and take other pieces, um, other artifacts, we'll say, from the system to be able to paint a clear picture of, of. Now, one of the things that I run into a lot of times is we as techs don't always set up the server logs properly. Um, because if we did, that's a lot of logs. And... I know a lot of techs will turn off logs because they want to dumb down the noise. Mm -hmm. So now when you're going in after the fact and you're looking at those forensics and stuff, do you have trouble getting information because people like me 
didn't turn the proper logs on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's probably one of the biggest frustrations, not just for me as the digital forensic examiner, but for the client, right? Or whoever the victim is and IT, right? So typically it's, it's after the fact, that's when they usually kick themselves and go, it created noise, but you know, we wish we'd had it, right? right? It's one of those things, I'm trying to think of an analogy, but something that's inconvenient now, right? But minimally, but by not doing it later, that inconvenience is way more significant. Okay. Now, do you have like a typical checklist that you would give people like us to where, okay, at the very minimum, you got to be doing this. And I know that uh, the insurance companies are doing us a solid this year and making our customers uh, keep logs and, you know, multi-factor and all that. But a lot of the stuff that I've been doing is turning on, you know, obviously a lot more log on, log off events. Right. Um, a lot more failed attempts. And it is causing a lot more work, but those are the things that I've been turning on at a minimum that I need to have more visual, you know, looking into. What else would be something that we would need to turn on? So like process tracking. Okay. Um, object access. Um, I could probably rattle through a bunch of stuff. It, it really, it really depends, I would say. So from a, a forensic standpoint, I'd rather that you had everything, turn, turn right? it all on. Like the, the whole caboodle. Um, but I get that in some environments, it's just not, not realistic. Um, so I think that's probably like anything else. You'd have to kind of triage that from an IT perspective and, and determine what. So I've been asked a bunch of times, um, hey, do you have like a checklist or things that you would must haves in a, a forensic examination? And I haven't put anything together yet, but now that we're on the air, maybe I should. Hey, I give, I give good ideas. Yeah. <laughs> so, because that's the thing. That's what I would want is, I mean, here's the problem. You can't make it a minimal because then that's the least we'll do. Right. It's, it's almost got to be, I mean, not turn everything on. Cause I think most of us, most of us are outside it and one, the client isn't going to pay for us to, keep all that. We got to store it someplace to keep the logs. Somebody's got to look at it. So you got to pay people to do that or send it off to one of our partners or vendors that has a knock or a seam that they're doing it for us. That costs money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I wish there would be at least some sort of a, a checklist, like a, you know, small, medium, large. I'm going I'm, I'm to put something together. <laughs> okay. I'll put something together. But just to kind of tackle that a little bit, I think kind of the, the happy medium there might be, yes, obviously, if you're collecting these logs, ideally, there's somebody that's periodically reviewing them, right? Or some sort of automated process that's reviewing them. And there's a lot of security products that do that. Um, but I think even if that's not what's happening, even if they're just being logged, right? And then offload, maybe stored, somewhere for up to a year, just having them, I think kind of so the, helps out quite the a bit. syslog that we're told to always do. Mm-hmm. So uh, here, here would be the freebie yeah. is, um, it's funny. I'm, I'm surprised not more people or that more people don't use this is Sysmon, right? And to be fair, I'm not an MSP. I'm not like a, an IT, uh, administrator. So maybe there's a reason, but Sysmon, it's a free tool for Microsoft and it really, it just, it, it turns your event logs on a Windows system, say on steroids, but it's, it's configurable. So you can log, it allows you to put rules in there to 
remove the noise. But um, I don't think I've ever had a situation where I've come in and they've had Sysmon running in the environment and I wasn't able to answer all or most of those pressing questions. So I remember Sysmon. <laughs> it's still being developed. They're it's still maintaining still it. But so again, that's probably, I do remember turning it on. It was like too much because you've got to increase the log size. First of all, um, the default, it's the thing. Microsoft should do a, a better job and just, just raise the default size for the log files and don't make us have to go do it. Right. So that's maybe that might be one of the updates with Sysmon. So I'm, I'm fairly new to Sysmon just a, a few years back, but um, by default, if you just run Sysmon, yes, it just starts logging everything. Right. Um, but you can run it with a specific configuration file to only log certain things. Um, and then also to remove other things. All right. So kind of clears out the noise, if you will. All right, I'm making a note to go back to Sysmon because it's probably been. I'll send you a configuration. I'll, okay. I'll send something out. That'll work. Uh, I've sent any, it to a couple of people. If any the, uh, ASCII group, if anybody's listening and would like that, just uh, send me a message and let me know. Or if you know Brian, send him a message. But maybe I'll uh, make that available to the listeners here. That'd be great. But yeah, Sysmon, I, I remember that, and that was it. Was actually pretty easy. So it's a single command line. It's just Sysmon dash I for the config. Yep, that'll work. All right. Um, do you have, uh, I'll ask this at the risk of getting no answer, any great stories you can tell of the worst thing you found? The worst thing I found? Yeah, just if you do a, a, a penetration test and got in there and like, oh my goodness, why is this on your servers? Or you've been hacked for the last year, did you not know? <laughs> oh gosh, so I've, going along that, that path. We'll stick with that. Um, (laughs) I've had a few where we went in, did the analysis, pointed out, here's how you got compromised. Here's what they did. Here's the accounts that are compromised. Here's how you, here's what you need to do to move forward. Um, And I want to say it was less than six months later, we got the call back. We go there to do the analysis um, and literally they, they hadn't done anything. Nothing. They, I mean, the, the usernames that were caught, the administrative usernames that were compromised, they never changed the password. So that was, that was pretty egregious. So let me get this straight. So they called you to do a pre-analysis or no, so this was, they, they got compromised. Oh, so they they, okay. They did get hacked. Okay. Right. right. And this, this is, so this is when I did PFIs or payment card industry forensic investigations. Okay. So this, this means that it was a point of sale system, right? Or a, credit card environment that got compromised. Uh, so we came in to do the examination on that and pointed out, Hey, here are all the, here, here's what got compromised. Here's the, the hundreds of thousands of credit card numbers that have been stolen from the environment. And then nothing. six months later, they called you back. They got called again because yes. they got compromised again. Yes. So re realistically, I don't think they got compromised Again, they never closed the holes in the first compromise. Okay. Well, that's... But they got dinged as if it was two two breaches. Okay. So I have a couple of clients where they have to get validated once a year where they've got to do all their scans and PCI compliance and all that. And then I have another client 
because they have credit card terminals in their space, they have to go through a monthly testing. So is this something where the credit card company tested them and failed them, or was this a malicious bad actor? No, this was an actual, they got hacked. Okay. So what happened was they were bleeding credit card data. The credit card brands, they they see this, right? They're able to figure out like, hey, we're getting all these fraud reports or stolen card, card reports. They do whatever magic math they do, and they see, hey, it all comes back to this location. Mm. Um, right. So then they they require that you have what's considered a PFI, which is a payment card, payment card industry forensic investigation, um, forensic analysis. We come in, we do the analysis, so on and so. And it's and with with those types of investigations, there's usually a, a big fine that comes along with that. Right? So that- not only are you paying for the forensics, and if guaranteed to be an attorney involved. Um, notification, IT expense, IT expenses, right. Lost time, right. Cause obviously your, your focus is on this, yeah. right. So yeah, that's why I was asking. Cause, uh, the one client I just did one with in August, they were, they had waited <laughs> to send me the stuff to get their verification done. They had to do a firewall test and all that. They waited and they were almost, um, in danger of getting like their POS shut down where they would not be able to accept payments. Right. And that right. was by their merchant yep. provider. So yeah, they're, they're pretty strict about that. Yeah. I'd say the, the other, the other short story is earlier this year an MSP, as a matter of fact, um, they called me for one of their clients. I guess what had happened was earlier in the year, they had gotten hit with ransomware instead of doing, forensic analysis on it, they figured, Hey, we can, we've got backups. We'll restore, just move on. Um, I want to say it was three to six weeks after attack. Number one, they were hit with attack. Number two, um, it again said, Hey, we can fix this. They fixed it. Um, and then a month after that attack number three, and then it was at that point that they said, Hey, maybe we're not the ones to do the, uh, the analysis on this. So that's when I got called in and, you know, that, that's usually the drum that I beat with why it's important to do the, the forensic analysis after an incident is you don't know how it happened and what exactly they did when they were in your environment. What are you securing against after the fact? Mm-hmm. Right. What are, what are you protecting? So you mentioned MSP, and I know that you don't do all of your work with MSP. So let's talk about Let's actually do this. Let's actually go back into your history because. We didn't start with that. You uh, were in law enforcement here in Fort Lauderdale, and I'm going to get the times and the stuff all mixed up, but I know that you were a part of SWAT. I was, I was. And I know you were part of the Secret Service, but you weren't an agent? Correct. So I was part of the task force. Task force. Right. So I was, I was a, a, a local police department uh, police officer um, here in Broward County. Um, I'm not sure if you're allowed to say where, but, um, I, I, I tell everybody where I'm Fort Lauderdale yeah, folks, nope. <laughs> Fort Lauderdale PD. I was with Fort Lauderdale PD. Um, yes, I was on SWAT. Uh, and then the last X number of years, uh, I got assigned to the United States secret service, electronic crimes task force. That's a mouthful. Say that fast a bunch. Of now, times. I mean, so how do you go from being a beat cop to that? So I was in the detective bureau doing economic crimes. Okay. financial crime stuff, 
American um, greed type stuff. They, yeah, it, it's not that sexy, unfortunately. <laughs> it's really not that sexy. Um, but uh, having been in the computer industry prior to law enforcement, my captain came up to me and said, hey, the Secret Service, they have this task force. Um, and I guess local departments will assign a police officer and the Secret Service pays for the training. They send you for a digital forensics training and then you essentially work mm. out of their office. Okay. So I was a, a Fort Lauderdale police detective, but I showed up every day down to uh, the Miami field office for the Secret Service. Nice. And did computer geek stuff all day long. All right. And then somewhere along the line, was it was it retirement from the police department or did you see this is a better nicer avenue to go down. So I did the early retirement. Okay. So I am retired, but it was an early retirement. <laughs> um, it, 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 that's just a polite way of saying that the private sector came knocking and, and kind of sweetened the pot. Okay. So when that happened, I, I got to think that you immediately didn't run across MSPs as a segment to work with. So I assume you started a lot of your work with, law agency related type stuff? So, yes. So funny, literally as soon as I made the decision decision to start my own business, um, I got a call from one of my contacts in the secret service and they said, Hey, we, we have this program in Alabama to teach law enforcement how to investigate cyber crimes, network intrusions, but we don't have an instructor. Are you interested? I was like, I, quit my job. So, <laughs> yes, I am. I just started a company. I'm, I'm interested. So from 2016 to about mid 2019, I was the curriculum developer and the instructor for the network intrusion response program in Hoover, Alabama. So it's a three week class teaching right. local law enforcement, how to investigate cyber crimes and network, stuff of that sort. Okay. Hoover, Alabama doesn't sound. It's Birmingham. It's okay. Birmingham still doesn't sound like a nice place to be. It's You know, it's funny is everybody says it for like oh, Birmingham. <laughs> I got to tell you, it's a big city. Yeah. I love it. I think it's a great place. It's a big city, but it's yeah. in Alabama. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a bigger city than Fort Lauderdale. I think it's even pretty cool. Yeah, I know. And I'm, I'm sure I have listeners that'll be calling me out because. Uh, like, why are you knocking Birmingham? Well, because I've got some listeners in Alabama because whenever I go to Georgia, they're like, we're just across the state line. Let's uh, meet up. Oh, look, as a matter of fact, there he is. Hey, wow. Hey, now. <laughs> He's like, easy. easy. Yep. I don't think I've ever been to Alabama. I should go. So, Mr. Hey, now, invite me. Give me a reason to show up in Alabama and not to watch the Crimson Tide. I hope they get a third loss this year, by the way. <laughs> All right. So, so you teach this course and... um. Let's see. You're starting to to do more things. Yep. So that that kind of sprung board me. Sprung is that even a word? Sprung me into um, the teaching environment, uh, okay. and then that kind of led to I did a like a one day. I think it was a one day course for judges down here in Florida, teaching them how to understand digital evidence in the oh. courtroom. So that was that was cool, right? So, I mean. Not only was it cool because I like to teach, but it was cool because now I know that I'm, I'm putting this information into not just attorneys' heads, but into judges, right? These are the ones that are sitting on the, up there on the, you know, making the decisions. So being able to explain what this means and why, why is the process sometimes slow? 
I'm sorry. I'm reading the chat. Yeah. <laughs> it's Alabama. Not many reasons. Okay. Um, so I was going to ask you about that because a lot of what we do here about digital forensics is always related to court, to court. Mm-hmm. And I know that the courts, you know, just like all other forensics, you know, with the, you know, the, the CSIs, you know, when they did their stuff, they were always a little behind on understanding the technology. Oh, well. All that can be faked, you know, in the, in the labs and stuff. So I have to imagine that the digital forensics from a cyber perspective probably wasn't re- received that well in the courts, or was it? Um, you mean as far as when I taught the class? Well, yeah. So, I mean, the judges. Of so, all, so I mean, no, I, honestly, I think it was received okay. pretty well. Um, they were very receptive to it. You've always got a few that, you know— technology and don't don't want to go down that path but i think it was it was received pretty well um surprisingly i got a lot of good questions right i kind of thought that i was going to get up there and just drone on and and move on to the next but they asked a lot of good questions Mm -hmm. they were they were truly interested and and i think that makes sense right i mean they're making these decisions in the courtroom and they need to know or at least be able to speak authoritatively okay now how much of what you're doing now translates into you being called as an expert witness or an expert. I, I don't know. I don't know so which I don't, side. It, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what the percentage split is. Um, the bulk of the work that I do, what I really like is the incident response, right? A company gets compromised. I come in and I do that. I help them kind of work through that. But I also get a lot of what I call dead box forensics, right? That's lawyers and law firms, that just need, hey, we have, right, maybe a handful of mobile phones that we need text messages from, or we have these computers, or I get a lot of, we think employee X may have been doing Y, right? We need to be able to prove this. Or we have contracts, right? We have two electronic documents. Party A says this is the real one. Party B says this is the real one. How do we kind of determine what's going on here? Or intellectual property theft. Employees leaving and then magically a month before they leave, they transfer a bunch of data from the computer to a U.S. Yeah. And there's no file tracking turned on. So that's one of those things where if you had the right logs turned on, you could go back and, and see. Right. So interesting. You mentioned the, the digital documents because I did have a law firm probably about three years ago. They were dealing with an equipment lease that a company was trying to get out of a lease and they were trying to get into a new lease and I forget which person did it, but somebody said, no, the lease started on this date. And then somebody said, no, it started on this date. And the logs of the scanner where they would scan the documents had the date stamping on them, but they were like, well, you can't go by the date it was scanned because that's not the date it was created. And this was not my client, so I had no access to it, but they were asking me to look at it. And hey, raw files. Well, yeah, how would you read this? I'm like, dude, I don't know. (laughs) You got to get into their system to see. And that was the problem is they they were getting logs, but I don't think they were the actual 
right. raw logs from the system. I get that a lot. I see that a lot. Well, attorneys will say, hey, we got these, we did this uh, discovery, and here's what we got. And they send me a, a giant PDF right. of a bunch of scanned documents. I'm like, this isn't, I can't tell you anything right. about this, right? This is a scan, right, or a PDF version of the original document. We need those original documents, right? The the Word document or you know, I guess some people actually create stuff in PDF or in Adobe. That's right. possible, but but either way, you need those raw. Getting into that metadata. Right. Ah, the metaverse. All in there. So let me ask this. I know we're going all over the place, but mm-hmm. because we talked about that, so a lot of us as IT providers get asked to do this stuff all the time. And listen, I know my limits, and I tell them, look, uh, you're going to have to call a professional to get that deep. You know, if it's just cloning a drive for preservation, yeah, I can do that, but I'm not going to dig into the logs of a a hard drive and stuff. So how many IT providers like me call you and say, Hey, we need your help. Are there out there versus how many try to do it on their own? And then you end up sitting across the the court from them saying you didn't do what you thought you were doing. So I don't know that I've ever been, on the opposing size, okay. at least not in the courtroom, to an IT company that decided to do something. I'm sure that day is coming. Um, yeah, I'll see you next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it happens, though, right? It's I don't know. Again, I don't know the exact, exact percentage, but a lot of, and I get it, right? We're tech people, right? We want to figure stuff out, but I'm a firm believer in stay your lane, right? Know, know what you're good at and stick with it. I get calls a lot for awesome potential incident response scenarios. But if it's something that's just not in my wheelhouse, I'm a firm believer. I'm not going to say yes and figure it out because my rep, my reputation's everything. Right. So I would rather say, you know what, this is not my forte. Let me, let me see if I can find somebody for you. Okay. So this takes us back to earlier, the discussion of there's software out there that we can get. And I did look at one. I don't think I wrote the name down. And it wasn't that Forens IT. It was something else similar where the software was free. Okay. And then you could pay to get training. And the training was like $3,500 for this course, but it was like a 10 course thing to get fully okay. certified. Wow. So, I mean, it was, I, I don't know, it was 30, 35 grand or whatever um, to get the, the training necessary to read all that stuff. So I've got to believe that there's a lot of tech companies that will get that free software. You, you said the open source stuff is good. That's good. But it's dumping information, you know, hex files and stuff like that. I'm sorry. I'm not going to read it. But, so an analogy nerd. Right? I always try <laughs> okay. to think of some sort of an analogy. I would almost liken it to you can go out and buy a, a really cool performance race car. Yeah. That doesn't make you a race car driver. You've got the cool car. Yeah. It's sexy. It has the capability. You have the capability. Right. And I think that's kind of where we're at with a lot of these, whether it be digital forensics, penetration testing, managed IT, whatever it may be. Right. I think it requires that, that, uh, that skill set behind. So we've talked about what we try to do without you. And then, uh, so you mentioned, so digital forensics, incident response. So let's talk about the incident response in terms of what should happen because 
again, the insurance companies are doing us a favor by telling our customers they've got to have an incident response plan. Now, all the ones that I've read are basically, if A happens, do B. Contact this person, this person, shut down this. You know, they're not really that detailed. Um, but from your perspective, coming in after the fact, it's usually after we've done all our stuff. We've pulled the drives, set them aside for analysis. Then you come in. But what really is incident response from your perspective? So I'll, I'll first touch on the incident response plan. Okay. I think it's important. Having a plan, that's key, right? Being prepared for something happening, kind of like fire drills when you were in school, right? You, you didn't just expect that the day that there was a fire, everybody would know what to do. No, they actually had a plan, right? We had the, the thing up on the wall that told you where you were going and whatnot, right. and you trained it, right? You tested it. You made sure that, hey, they know what they're doing, you know, little Susie's grabbing the fish bowl, right? He's going to hold the door open, so on and so forth, right? The idea is to have a plan, but not just a generic plan, a plan that's actionable. When they, and that's the same thing with having an incident response plan is you need to have, if you're just downloading something off the internet and plugging that into your, your process, my guess is you probably haven't tested it, right? You got to test it and make sure, is it, is it functional in your environment? Well, that's part two to that because I don't think any – because none of my people have tested. I can tell you that. It's not like I can walk in and let's rip out the power cord and go. You know, so – Right. And then a breach, I guess, is hard to simulate. You know, well, Because there's so many different – a good incident response plan will also have what we call playbooks, right? And a playbook is the more detailed if it's ransomware, if this, then that. Right. If it's an email compromise, if this, then that, so on and so forth, because there is no one generic. If I get hit with a breach, I'm going to do X. What kind of a breach? Right. What's been impacted? What do we, right? So that's why you really have to have a, um, a detailed and an incident response plan that's tailored to your environment, right? It has to make sense for, for your environment. But again, the biggest takeaway is be prepared. It's going to happen. I hate to be the, the negative Nancy. Right, you can have all the, the protective mechanisms in the world. At some point, it's going to happen. Right. You know what? I'm going to let you finish before I go back to that question because we'll be all way off base. So having a plan and then the next step is? Testing it. Testing it? Testing okay. the plan. Well, we're not doing that. So next. <laughs> uh, have somebody on retainer. <laughs> have, have a company that you can call. Um, but no, for going back to the plan, I just want to touch on, because you see, and I think you had mentioned it, there's a lot of plans that they sound good, right? Because they say, if we get hit with X, you know, preserve evidence and pull drives and do this. But a lot of times if you ask people, if you ask the people that are in charge of doing that. Well, how, do I do, how do I do it? Let's do it, right? So I've, I've done what's called an FTX. So mm -hmm. a tabletop is where you just sit around and, and kind of talk through, right? Hey, if you get hit with this, what are you going to do? I'm going to collect memory and I'm going to get a disk image and I'm going to do this. Okay, cool. Then we get to the FTX, which is where... Hey, you just got hit with this incident. What are you going to do? You got that same guy who says, I'm going to do a memory dump. Um, I'm going to collect a, a, an image of the hard drives. Okay, let's do it. Now you get the, the deer in the headlights. What do I do to collect memory? Okay, that's what, what gonna gonna that's what I was going to ask. That's what I was going to ask. Do you actually walk people through, let's, let's do the plan. Let's walk through, you know, how do you do the, do the log dump, pull the drives? Well, if I pull the drives, we can't work. Well, that's part of your plan, right? 
So, yeah, which is one of the reasons where my customer is like, well, we can't do that. I'm like, well, how are you going to know if it works if you don't test it? Test it. And, you know, that means we have to have extra stuff. We got to pay for another you know, so th- set of drives, another server. Today, things are a little bit different. So years of old, it used to be pull drives. Yeah. Right. So when I would go in for, you know, digital forensics or an incident, typically we were imaging the entire hard drive. Today, drives are just, I don't want to say they're too large, but it's unrealistic in a lot of incidents to image the whole hard drive. Right. So a lot of forensic firms have moved to doing triage, right? Whereas instead of going in, if I'm imaging even just a one terabyte drive, that's going to take hours to image a one terabyte drive. And that doesn't give me any answers yet. Now I have to go process it and whatnot. Whereas if I do a triage analysis, which is where I go in and say, Hey, I only need registry hives or maybe event logs or, you know, a certain file type or whatever it may be. I extract that, which takes a matter of minutes. And now I can start reviewing that data. Usually you can have answers in hours versus days, sometimes minutes. All right. So I was starting to think in a virtual sense where if you're uploading stuff to the cloud, a lot of times you're going to have a lot of that ransomware stuff follow up to an image if you're doing an Im- image backup. So I, I don't know if that would help at all to download an image, but you, again, you've got to download it. So I so guess it, you're in the- it depends. So with ransomware, there's no one, one answer, right? What I mean by that is, so a lot of the ransomware, again, depending on the type of ransomware, it typically doesn't disable the computer, right? Right, because they they need the computer to run in order for you to be able to read their the ransom note and try to recover the files, so on and so forth. So, a lot of the, again, depending on the ransomware, a lot of the logs are still some of the data is still going to be there. Now, to be fair, there are there are variants of ransomware that that's the first thing they do is they disable the volume shadow, they delete backups, delete the logs, delete the logs. And that's where I was thinking, if you had all that stuff backed up, you would pull from the backup at least up until the point of deletion because, now I know that probably isn't always the case, but sometimes you're going to have, right before those logs are deleted, those one or two lines that show, oh, this happened, and then you're done. Everything leaves a trace. So even, even an attacker deleting the logs, that leaves a log. Right, so that leaves a trace. That doesn't tell you exactly what they did prior, but at least now we have a, a time frame, right, or a date range to work with. All right, so let's kind of bring this full circle. So you are a cybersecurity company, not an MSP. Um, MSP adjacent? Yes, I would say yes. Okay. I've done, especially over the last couple of years, I've done a lot of work with and for MSPs. Okay. I know you're big in ASCII. Well, I'm <laughs> I don't know how big you are in ASCII. I know you're in ASCII. Involved, yes. <laughs> I am involved in ASCII. And I know yes. some members I'm have- I'm a big fan of it. Big fan. Yes. Big fan, big fan. Um, are you involved in a bunch of other groups or how are you like uh, marketing yourself out to our industry? Yes, yeah, so not doing it. <laughs> um, other than ASCII, I'm involved in a couple of like a lot of work from from lawyers and law firms, but you know, I'm really not doing a ton of uh, 
Do you do you want more work or do you have enough? <laughs> if you ask my wife, she'll tell you I want more work. Um, no, I do. I have I have room on my plate for more work. Okay. Now you mentioned the wife. In doing my research, I can't tell if she works for you or with you or with you full time and does other stuff. So what's none of the above. So she owns a law firm. Oh, okay. Yep. So she used to do the cyber uh, stuff and then she just, uh, she kind of transitioned more to exclusively doing the business law and employment law. But uh, She started her own firm a few years ago. And okay. Going very well. Okay. So She's I wonder, my attorney. wonder how I read that. I think, I think you were teaching a thing in 2020 and you were a teacher. She was listed there and the third oh, person. Yeah. So we've done, so when she used to do the privacy stuff and the cyber law stuff, we did a lot of joint presentations okay. and stuff together. Yeah. All right. So it wasn't too off on my No, research. you weren't, no, you weren't off. You weren't <laughs> off at all. All right. So what do, I mean, you already mentioned a couple of things. You kind of enjoy this to a degree, but in terms of, like on a regular daily basis, what's, you know, like what's the number one thing you love to do as part of your gig? So I love doing the investigative side. I love doing the incident response, but I would say probably what I get the most value out of is preemptively helping a client. Right. Okay. So coming in and helping them develop that incident response plan or telling them, Hey, here's what we want to have in place. If, or when something happens, Let's get this in place. And that's, that's one of those things that's, you don't get a ton of feedback on that until they get hit with an incident. Right. And then they go, oh, we're sure glad that we had X in place. Well, nobody wants your help until they need your help. No, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I've many clients are like, we appreciate it. Thank you. I hope they never have to see you again. Yeah. <laughs> and I get it. Right, you're doing the incident response. It's a, a bad situation. So. Okay. They don't want to have another one. All right, so now let me do a sort of quasi-Florida man thing where usually I'd ask somebody to come up with their version of Florida man to challenge a Florida man story that I found. But you are Florida man. You've lived here, so I can't really ask you to challenge Florida man because you're here. But I have to imagine that working as a Fort Lauderdale police officer, and SWAT member. Is there a Florida man story that you can tell us that, you know, that I can tell? I'm not sure. I've got a bunch of Florida man stories. Um, I don't know if there's any, I can tell. We, I'm trying to think how to, how to redact this one. The names and faces have been changed. I'm trying to think how to, how to tell it and it not be boring. We had a guy that OD'd. Okay. um, On the way. To the hospital, he basically expired several times. We get to the hospital, and the doctor assured myself and my my partner at the time, this guy's not going to make. He won't make it through the night. If he does, he's going to be a vegetable. This guy's he's done. His body's cooked. Okay. I want to say less than two months later, this guy stole a a truck. He stole a, a, a big truck. An industrial truck. Was that the cement truck that was going up and down 95? With the, that had probably the one that hurt a bunch of police cars. Yes. And he, it was just ramming he stole everything. Stole a 
I'm drawing a blank, an ATM, like he pulled an ATM out yes. of the wall and whatnot. Yes. <laughs> Same guy. When they said the name, I'm like, not possible. The doc assured us that this guy was <laughs> dude was dead. For. Yeah. But no, I think that was um it was either it was either a republic, not a republic, what was Heisinga's company? What was it was either that company, the sanitation company, or the right. cement truck rinker. Um, it was one of right. those. It was one of those large trucks. I remember that. I remember that story. <laughs> but I, mean, I kid you not. It was I don't know less than three months prior to that that he. I mean he OD'd. It was, wow. It was a. Uh, I'm not laughing because he OD'd. I'm laughing because wow. Because he lived and yeah, did that. Bounced right back. Apparently. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, you you heard it from somebody else. This stuff really happens down here in the uh, state of Florida. Yeah. And they don't all have to do with alligators. All right. Well, Brian, we're coming up to the hour here. I want to thank you for, man, coming in studio. I, I'm excited that I'm the second person. <laughs> <laughs> this very will be cool. pretty good. So, honored. Uh, we're very honored. This yeah, is fun. This is good. Thank you very much. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, InfoSec Cyber, and it's just as simple as that. I will have the link in the show notes, but InfoSecCyber.com. If you would like Brian to help you with education, first of all, we would like to have our people not go through the incident. Let's get scored away. But if they do and you need somebody to come in and do a true triage and incident response, this is the guy. So thank you again for having me on. All right, Appreciate Brian, thanks a lot. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you have, let's see, or, or did we say we were staying for a post show? Sure. So. We will uh, continue here after the show exit, uh, but we'll go ahead and start to sign off here. Again, folks, remember, next week's show is not at the regular time of 8 p.m. Eastern. It will be at 10 a.m., and the reason for that is most of you are probably working half a day, if at all, and you're hitting the road to head home for Thanksgiving. So uh, we're going to be here, Aaron Lawrence from Tech Gadget Canada, and Eric Pinto from Sock Solder will be joining me, and I might have a brand new Net Ally tool that I will be showing off as part of that as well. I hope to have it. I got a shipping number, but it's shipping by ground. So, Fingers crossed. <laughs> I don't know if Fingers I'll have crossed. it, but I hope that I do. So join us next week, folks, Wednesday, the 23rd, 10 a.m. Eastern for the Black Friday preview show. And that's going to do it, folks. Thank you very much for hanging out. And uh, thank my good friend, Brian, who you live pretty close, don't you? I do. I do. Okay. Too close. Okay. Probably too close. <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Let me find my outro here. I'm in the wrong spot here. Yeah, this is, this is how we do it live, folks. All right. We'll see you next week. And until then, holla. <laughs>